and we are going to, to work our way through this. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse number 1. These are the words of Christ. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that you shall not be made to stumble. For they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things um, I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. We talked about that Sunday. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and will declare it to you. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would just give us understanding and insight as we look into your word. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, uh, the, the subject of the Holy Spirit is so extensive that uh, literally you could stay on a Bible study on the Holy Spirit for a year if you wanted to, because literally there are so many different things. Last week, we started um, at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we looked at the Holy Spirit and the Godhead in the beginning. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Now, how many know that there are three in the Godhead? God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see those three in Genesis chapter number 1 and 2. And so as we begin to look at that last week, we talked about a couple things. We talked about who is the Holy Spirit. And in that, we talked about how there's a lot of symbolism in the Scripture. Um, the Holy Spirit is symbolized as oil. When you look at the anointing of the priests in the Old Testament, there was no quote-unquote magic in the olive oil. It was symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, something tangible. It's a point of faith. Whenever we pray for somebody today and we anoint them with oil, there's no magic in the oil. It's the faith and the point of contact uh, that we're referencing the Holy Spirit's work and his involvement. So we see oil. We also see fire. John said it like this in Luke 3.16, uh, when the Spirit comes, um, he and, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus said the baptism of the Holy Spirit will be like fire. It's a purifying fire. It's a refiner's fire. It speaks of sanctification. It, it speaks of um, holiness. Um, when you take metal, silver, gold, put it in the fire, the impurities come out. 
when the Spirit baptizes us, he's supposed to sanctify our lives. Amen? When you come in contact with the fire of the Holy Spirit, you should come out looking more like Jesus. That's what should happen. Amen? And we should not become more worldly when we become Christian. We should become more holy. Praise God. So uh, we, we see that. We also see wind, right? Uh, uh, Jesus makes a statement about the Spirit. He talks about the wind. You see the effects of the wind, but you cannot see where it's coming and where it's going. I, I referenced that last week. The, the tree that is blowing in the wind, the, the branches are flailing in the wind. That, that, that is not the wind. It's the effects of the wind. I said the same thing about tongues. Tongues is the manifestation of the baptism of the Spirit. It is the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. But the tongues themselves are not the Holy Spirit, just like the wind is not the Holy Spirit. It's the effects of. So I think there was some misunderstanding last week. Somebody thought maybe I meant that tongues weren't of the Holy Spirit. Now, come on, y'all. Y'all know, know me better than that, right? Praise God. But we talked about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, okay? So this week, we're going to go a little bit further and begin to look. We're going to look back in the Old Testament throughout this study, but tonight, we're going to just jump right off the high dive of the New Testament and talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So um, here's what I want you to see. In John's gospel, in John chapter 16, right, um, we begin to see uh, Jesus um, talking about his move to the cross. We actually referenced this on Sunday, if you were here, and we talked about overcoming the fear of death, John 14, 1 through 6. Um, Lord, where are you going, and how will we ever know the way? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was going away, he was preparing a place. He references this in uh, John chapter 16 because he says, I tell you these things, and sorrow fills your heart. You need to understand, Jesus walked with those disciples every single day. It was the definition of discipleship. Um, you see, if I write you a book and I hand you a book, you can read the book, you get revelation, you get insight. It's not discipleship. Discipleship is really can be defined as relationship. And so these disciples, Jesus called them and said, hey, come follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. They ate with him. They walked with him. They traveled with him. They ministered with him. And they were, they were with him all the time. They watched him cast out devils. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him raise the dead. All of those things, they were front row view of Jesus doing all of these things. And, and then Jesus begins to go on and make statements like these. Greater things than these shall you do. Because why? I go to my Father. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking about, how do you get greater than raising the dead? How do you get greater than casting out devils and setting people free? How do you, how do you get better than causing the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear? Now, Jesus said you would do greater works, but I would like to suggest to you tonight that he did not mean greater in quality. Rather, he meant greater in quantity. The reason why I say that is because Jesus' earthly ministry 
really spanned. Now, he was alive for 33 and a half years, but his ministry did not theoretically start until he was age 30 years old. Now, remember when Mary and them lost him and they found him in the temple and he was confounding the rabbis and the elders? Jewish history tells us that, that Jesus was very likely taking his rabbinical test. They referred to him as rabbi. They referred to him as teacher. But you couldn't be a priest till you were 30 years old. You couldn't be a priest unless you could identify the lineage of your father. And, you know, here Jesus is saying that God is my father. And then you got Joseph over here. And so you got all these things. And then we see this baptism scene, right? When the heavens open up and a voice declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, Jesus could check off the box of the validity of priesthood because he got to identify who his father was. Well, the priest also had to be washed before they went into service. That's why John baptized Jesus. They also had to be anointed. That's why the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained. It was at that time that his quote-unquote earthly ministry started. Here's the way the book of Acts records it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, God anointed Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was God anointing the, the man of Jesus, because Jesus was fully God, fully man, but he laid it down, and he was anointed just like you and I, never ceasing to be God. He always was God, but he operated as a man. That's why he was qualified to die for our sins, right? Because he lived a life in the flesh, yet without sin. It's the only way he became that perfect sacrifice. Why am I telling you all of that? Because Jesus modeled what it, li what it looked like to live a spirit-empowered life. And he was led of the spirit and all of these things. And so now he's transitioning his ministry. He's getting ready to head to the cross, and he's telling his disciples, like, I've got to go away, and they're being sad. And then I want us to go back to our text, and let's just begin to mine this out. Uh, John 16, verse 1, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble, for they will put you out of the synagogues. And yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. He's telling them right up front, guys, you follow me. I told you to pick up your cross. I was being literal. We talked about it Sunday, didn't we? Eleven of the twelve actually died a martyr's death. They, they, they died. They fell right into example with their Messiah. He said people are going to think that they're doing God a service because it would be the religious that would kill. They would look like they were the renegades or they had gone crazy or something of that nature. And Jesus is preparing them. And he says, but they do these things. Why? Because they've not known the Father nor they've, known, they've not known me. Now, he's speaking about re these religious people that say they know the Torah, they know God, but Jesus is saying they don't know the, the Father, nor do they know me. That's why they're acting this way. But he says, these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember them. And he says, did I not tell you, say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I go to him who sent me, and none asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Now look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I want you to imagine Jesus is with you like this. Arm in arm, flesh in flesh. 
You're walking down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, and you're looking at him face to face. You literally can reach out and touch him. But now Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, the helper, capital H, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, that, that re- messes with us a little bit. Because so many people say, well, if I just had Jesus right here. But yet Jesus is telling us in the scripture that something that is a greater dynamic to the spiritual life It's not Jesus in the flesh, because when he was in the flesh, he could only be one place at one time. Although he was God, he was limited, in a sense, to that physical body. That's why he still suffered pain on the cross. He still was hungered. He still was thirsty. He still suffered temptation, even though he didn't sin. He had some limitation to that body. But Jesus said, when I go away, when my body is put like a seed into the ground, How many of you know when you put a seed into the ground, the pressure of the earth cracks that seed, and from death springs forth new life? And most everything that comes from a seed always produces more than what went in the ground, right? In other words, you don't plant an apple seed and you get one apple back. How many of you know you get an apple tree? Well, the Bible says that Jesus, when he died, he went into the ground, the only begotten Son of God. But when he resurrected, he became the firstborn among many brethren. Meaning you and I now become a part of the family because of his resurrection. We have fellowship with God. Now, Jesus is wrapping this conversation with them, and he says, I have to go away because, guys, the ministry that we're doing together right now, it is awesome. But when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit to you. He's going to be like a helper. Somebody say helper. He will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, verse 8, notice what he says. And when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they did not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Then look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. But right now you cannot bear them. You cannot handle them. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you, and all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and will declare it to you. Uh, we're going to get into this tonight um, in, our, in our text and break that down. But I want to I show you uh, a couple of things just to kind of paint a picture here. Now, Jesus showed up in the flesh in Bethlehem's manger, Right? The shepherds, there was no glory in Israel for years. The, uh, the glory, I believe, is in Ezekiel chapter 9, departed from the temple, and there was no more glory in Israel until the glory of the Lord appeared in the shepherd's field and said, you know, behold, you shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And so there Jesus came, right, as the spotless lamb of God. But how many of you know we would be wrong to say Jesus didn't exist before then. You agree with that? Because Jesus didn't just show up in Bethlehem's manger. That's why John uh, 
in, in the book of Revelation, he says, I look and I saw, behold, a, a, one that was like a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or, or uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as their real names are, they saw a fourth man in the fire. Ezekiel had appeared to him, one that was likened unto the Son of Man. And so we know that there was the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. Colossians says that everything that was created was created through him. That's why in Genesis chapter 1, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So listen, you cannot say that God, that Jesus just showed up in Bethlehem's manger and he never existed before. I want to tell you the same thing is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in Genesis chapter 1, but he was in a different mode of operation. Still the Spirit of God, but he was working differently, just like Jesus was different in the Old Testament. And then he showed up in Bethlehem's manger and began that ministry. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost started that new work of the Spirit in the life of the church. So I want you to just grab hold of this tonight because I don't want you to walk out of here and think that there was just two people in the Godhead before uh, the, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been working all the way since creation, and I got news for you. He's going to keep working till this thing is over. Amen. That's what's going to happen. So uh, out of our text, number one, I want to look at, let's look at the nature of the Spirit. The nature of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, this is important for us to grasp tonight. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, is constantly referred to as a he. Somebody say he. It's in a masculine form, but the Holy Spirit is constantly referred to as a he. If you have a Bible and your Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, it's the wrong Bible. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. There are three persons in the Godhead. And by the way, there is a very popular translation that uses it for the Holy Spirit. But I'll let you do, do your study on that one. Here's the thing. Here's why he's referred to as a person. Number one, as a person, he can speak. Notice what Jesus said in this passage. There are many things I still want to tell you. I can't tell you right now. You can't handle them. You're not mature enough to receive it right now. But he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to tell you. The book of Acts records many times that while they were ministering and praying, the Holy Spirit spoke. As Christians, oftentimes we talk about, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I want you to know something that there's nowhere in your Bible that says that the Holy Spirit stops speaking to people. You can't find it. There's some people say, oh, well, we have the Bible now. We don't need that anymore. Uh, that's the wrong answer. Now, if a person claims the Holy Spirit speaking to them and is contradicting the Scripture, well, the Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. You, 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 I, I, I talked about it last week, didn't I? I said it's like the, the, the bumpers in a, uh, on, a, on a bowling game, right? You, you, you know, those bumpers keep the ball in the middle. The Word of God keeps us from getting into error. 
Amen? If you have, say, well, I feel like I had a dream from God. I feel like God spoke to me. I feel like you better check it by this word because he doesn't change. Praise God. So the nature of the Holy Spirit is he speaks. The Bible also says in the book of Timothy that in the latter days the Spirit expresses that there will be people who will depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit gives us a witness. He speaks to us. He speaks through us. Uh, so as a person, the Holy Spirit can speak. Um, here's the next thing. As a, as a person, he has emotions. He has emotions. For instance, Paul said to the church, at, I believe it's Galatia, or it might be Ephesus, but Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. People, we live in a culture today where we think we just can't grieve the Holy Spirit because, you know, grace, 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 grace. Well, I promise you if, you, if you sit and watch blasphemy and things of that nature and you call yourself a Christian and you got that icky feeling inside, that's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't say he's leaving you, but you can grieve him on the inside, right? When, you're, when you speak ill to somebody or you... Uh, you, you, you know, have certain thoughts or whatever, you can absolutely positively grieve the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit's likened into a, a dove. I didn't cover that one because I'm going to cover that one extensively uh, in its own lesson. But a dove, my brother over here likes to hunt doves. He can tell you they're flighty birds. You can scare them away quickly. You got to be careful how you walk around a dove because they symbolize some purity. So the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so here's what Jesus said. It was to their benefit, the disciples, that he left. Because when he left, he would be sending the Spirit to abide with them. Now, let's compare something for a moment. In the Old Testament, okay, from Genesis up till, and I'm using this, trying to use this, appropriately here, from Genesis up until the resurrection, okay? From Genesis up until the resurrection. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of people in a salvation experience like we experience on this side of the resurrection. He didn't. You can't find that necessarily in the Old Testament. When David prophesied, the Holy Spirit came upon him. When Saul prophesied, the Holy Spirit came upon him. When Ezekiel and Isaiah prophesied, the Spirit came upon them, but he didn't move inside of them. He came and he left. That was the part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He brooded over. He did not come and live on the inside. So one of the things that's different between us in the New Testament and them in the Old Testament is in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of believers. So I don't want to mess up anybody's theology, but when we speak about Jesus coming to live in our heart, he really don't because he's on the throne. When we talk about Jesus coming to live in our heart, we would really be more correct to say we've been born of the Spirit. Now God's Spirit lives on the inside of us, and the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. Hello. That's what happens. We are born of the Spirit. But the thing is, Jesus said, listen, 
I'm walking with you right now, and I'm doing all these things. But when I go away, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to my people, and he will live on the inside of you. So I want you to think about it. When Jesus was here, aside from John, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that's really the only two people that we have account in the New Testament that were, had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. But on the day of Pentecost, something happened. And there was a work of the Spirit that happened, and people became born again. And so it's interesting, the nature of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was telling them he was leaving and that he would send the Spirit to abide within their lives. Is anybody glad tonight of the abiding work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said it like this. He will not just be with you. He shall be in you. So important. And that doesn't just mean for Pentecostals either. Right? Oh, I messed up somebody now. I messed up somebody now. Do you know even Baptist people have the Holy Spirit? Do you know? Now, they're not, they're not baptized in the power of the Spirit, but they have the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe, it's speaking of the baptism of the Spirit. But you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Not even possible. The Bible says no man can even come unless the Father draws him by his Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit's not drawing somebody and saying, hey, you need to give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one helping us get born again. Now, we need to receive the baptism of power. That, that's after the work of salvation. That's where the tongues come in. Hello. But there's the work of the Spirit. So we see the nature of the Spirit. Here's the second thing. Let's look at the work of the Spirit. It's found in verse number 8. Notice what he says. And it says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I want you to see something because this is vitally important. The Bible tells us what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes. It says he was going to convict the world of sin. Now, you and I use the word world in a lot of different connotations. We might see somebody who's not Christian and we might say, well, that's worldly or they're worldly. But there are other times where when the Bible uses the word world, it simply just means creation. It simply means the, the universe. It, it simply means the system of structure of governments within the world. And so it doesn't always have a negative connotation. But here when the Spirit came, here's what he said. He was going to convict the world of sin. And do you know what the sin was that he was going to convict the world of? You say, well, it was, an, it was adultery or it was fornication or it was cheating or something. Not necessarily because he goes on to tell us of sin because they did not believe in me. So the sin that Jesus was coming, that the Holy Spirit was coming to convict the world of was the sin of unbelief. Because, you know, it's not ultimately the sin of adultery that sends you to hell. It's not, ultra, it's not ultimately the sin of stealing that sends somebody to hell. It's the sin of unbelief. Because if a person doesn't believe in Jesus, there's no blood. Where there's no blood, there's no atonement. Where there's no atonement, there's no remission of sin. And where there's no remission of sin, there's demand of a full payment. That's why when people die without Christ, they have 
to go to hell. People say, why does a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He literally gives people every chance. And so they make a choice to reject. It's the sin of unbelief. Now notice this. He says, I'm going to come and convict the world of sin. And then he said, I'm going to convict the world of righteousness. Now that's important. Because you know what, what Jesus came to do through the Holy Spirit? You know what the apostles and the gospel writers came to do through the Holy Spirit? They were convicting the world of righteousness. What was their message? What was Jesus' message? What was Jesus' message when he encountered the Pharisees who were lawyers and law keepers? They had all the books memorized. They knew how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day and if you could spit or not spit on the ground or you couldn't light a matchstick and you couldn't braid your hair, you couldn't do all these things. Listen, the law went that far. And they knew all of that stuff. And Jesus comes and here's what he says. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I have said, if you look, you've already committed. You have heard it said, do not commit murder. Because in the Jewish law, they could beat you within an inch of your life. And if they didn't kill you, they were still good. But Jesus said, I have, you have heard it said, don't commit murder. But I have said, if you have a hatred in your heart for your brother, you're already guilty. See, the law looked at the action. Grace looks at the intent. Grace is actually a, a much tougher standard than the law. And Jesus came and he said this. All these laws that you've broken, that you think you've kept, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, and the only way you can get to heaven is by me. Paul comes, Pharisee among Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day, studied under Gamaliel, had more degrees behind his name than a thermometer, but yet Paul said, when I look at all of my life, all of my pedigrees, I counted as dung, and I, I wish to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, that's all that matters to me. And Paul went through saying, I did this, I did that, but at the end of the day, it's only Christ's righteousness. He came to convict the world of unbelief because they did not believe in him, of righteousness because he went to his father and, he, and we see him no more. And then what did he say? He said, and of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. Jesus came saying, the devil has been defeated. Y'all do know the devil's been defeated, huh? Some of y'all fight the devil so much. You need to start fighting your flesh. That's where your battle needs to be won. Satan is defeated. He's defeated. Jesus said, behold, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That dude got flicked down like a bug, you know. He, Jesus just flicked him the moment he had pride in his life and was cast down to the earth. Jesus said, behold, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Yes, he's causing a little bit of turmoil right now with himself and his demons. But hello, we've read the end of the book. Satan's defeated. The reason why he wants to drag you to hell is because he's going and he don't want to go by himself. And before you start rebuking the devil and say, go back to hell where you came from, he's never been there yet. Get your theology right. He don't want to go by himself, so he's going to take you too. But How did I get on that? All right, here we go. Get excited talking about Satan being defeated. 
People always talking to the devil. You know, if you want to talk to the devil, you ought to take a sticky note and put it on your shoe because he's really under your feet. Hello. So here's what you need to understand. He came to convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Here's the third thing I want us to see. The role of the spirit. Now, I love this. And I could spend a lot more time on this, but I want us to to just look at this, and then we're just going to have something else to jump in next week. Look at verse number 12 with me, okay? Here's what verse 12 says. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I have said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Here's the the role of the Holy Spirit. He's going to speak. Yes, we already talked about he speaks. But he's going to speak truth. Just like there are many names for God in the Bible... You know, there's proper names of God. You have like Yahweh and Jehovah, and then you've got other names that are like descriptive names like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, you know, Rose of Sharon, uh, all of these different names, right? Well, the, the Holy Spirit has a bunch of different names he's referred to in the Scripture. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of God. They all mean the same thing. The Holy Spirit, first of all, holy is not his first name. It's an attribute of who he is. He's the Holy Spirit. But he speaks truth. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to speak truth. But not only does the Holy Spirit speak truth, what did he say here? He said when he speaks these things, uh, in verse number 13 says, He will guide you into all truth. So when the Holy Spirit speaks truth, he's going to guide you into that truth. See, the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's one thing to know the truth, but the truth that you know has to be applied to your life. You know, you can know how to do something, But if you don't do it, it doesn't help you. So when the Holy Spirit gives us truth, he's going to guide us into truth. We call that being led by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, you're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. As Christians, we're not supposed to be walking around this world aimless and we don't know what's going on and we don't know what we're doing. And yeah, there's times we all get confused and we all need wisdom and counsel, but the Holy Spirit is leading us, leading us. We need the Holy Spirit's leadership. You know why? Because there are, there are things about our personal lives that are not in Scripture. Where to work, who to marry, you better, you better pray about it. Because if you're a Christian, we, we believe, hey, we say at our house, we don't believe in divorce. We believe in murder. Praise God. Till death do us part. Amen. I told my wife so many times, if you leave me, I'm going with you, honey. That's what's happening. Okay? But listen, I'm joking, but, but the Bible talks about 
some attributes to look for in a spouse. You know, everybody wants a Proverbs 34 woman or 31 woman, and they want a man of God and all this stuff. And you better pray about it. But listen, the Bible don't tell you who. You better be led of the Holy Spirit. Because you, you, might, you might be going after a, 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 what you think is an Apostle John, and you might get a Judas. Amen. You better be led of the Holy Spirit. He don't tell you where to go to work. Or guess what? Company calls and says, hey, we have a promotion for you. We'd like to offer you $20 more thousand dollars a year. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to move to Timbuktu. What that means is you're pulling your kids out of their church. You're pulling your kids out of their school where they're prospering. There's all these things. But guess what? All you see is dollar signs. But if, and I'm not saying it may not be God, but every door is not God. Sometimes doors are from devils. How do you know? Pray, be led by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will speak sometimes through people, through wisdom, through prayer, a still small voice. Sometimes a still small voice might sound like, hey, dummy, don't do that. He may not talk to you that way. He talks to me that way. All right. All right. So he's going to lead us into all truth. But then, then look at this. This is cool. I like this. I like this. This is cool. It says, um, for when he, he'll guide you in all truth, he will not speak on his own authority. Now, I, I need to hasten my time here. But we talk about submission, right? That's a word people hate. Submit. Submit. There are wives that they're like, we, we, we hate the word submit, where the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. You'll go to work and submit to your boss, but won't submit to your husband. But okay, that doesn't make any sense. I'll let you marinate on that one. Your boss says sweep the hall, you sweep the hall. Okay, never mind. All right. <clears throat> I am not getting in trouble tonight. I stay in trouble enough. But I want you to notice the submission of the Godhead. The Father sent the Son. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. Then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's not going to come preaching the message of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come exalting the message of myself. So people talk about, oh, that was a move of the Holy Spirit. Well, was Jesus exalted? Were people saved? Were people set free? Was the name of Christ lifted up? Was Jesus, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into myself. The message of the church is not the Holy Spirit, the, though the Holy Spirit is, a, is the, the person and work of God in the earth. But listen, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would magnify Christ. He won't speak of his own self. He's not going to magnify his own self. He's going to magnify me. And whatever he hears, he'll speak. But notice this next part. And he will tell you things to come. What that tells me is that God's people are supposed to be prophetic people, not pathetic people. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. 
Now, that doesn't mean you're a psychic and God's going to show you the, eight, the, the lottery or whatever, you know. That doesn't mean that, that every single detail of your life you're going to know ahead of time. But the Holy Spirit, he does know how to lead you in the right direction. And he can even show you of some things to come. He can warn you. Hey, don't do this because that's going to happen. Or if you do this, that's going to happen. He can warn you. He can give you prophetic warnings, prophetic dreams. He can give you all types of things. But he can show you things to come. And then notice it says, he will glorify me. He will take of what is mine. He will declare it to you. The last thing, the role of the Spirit is to exalt the person of Christ. When you make much of the Holy Spirit, we make much of Christ because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Scripture says that if the same Spirit, I want you to notice this. When Jesus' body, and I'm closing, when Jesus' body went into that tomb, that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and it was in that tomb sealed with the Roman guards outside, those three days Jesus went, went down and handled business and took the keys and led captivity captive. The Bible says that if the same spirit, listen to me, if the same spirit that erased Jesus from the dead, you hear me? Not a different one. Not a different one. Hear what I'm trying to tell you. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you is the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also quicken our mortal bodies on the day of resurrection. I want you to notice this. We want to be close with Christ. We need to, be, we need to seek to be filled with God's Spirit. Amen? And so tonight we covered the nature of the Holy Spirit, his personhood, the work of the Spirit, the role of the Spirit to make much of Jesus in his life. And next week we're going to um, look at this a little bit deeper from a little bit different of, of an avenue. And then we're going to press in to the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that will take some time. But there's some things that we need to learn and develop in our lives and the Holy Spirit wants to do those in our lives. And so praise God. You can close your Bible.